Hey guys, this is the Real Estate Podcast, and this is your host, yours truly, Matt Teifke. Real quick before we dive in, if you don't mind, please make sure to subscribe to our channel. We want to get the message out that real estate can be for everybody. We want to share the entrepreneurship that we're learning along our journey. So before we dive into the episode, please make sure you share with your friends, and we want to continue to add value. So thank you guys, and let's dive right into the episode. We lost a real estate agent the other day because she saw that we we're releasing podcasts on cannabis. And it's, I loved what you were saying at the beginning because you were initially kind of turned off about it, but then you dug in further and did some research. And that's what I feel like most people will do if they keep an open mind and they want to learn more about it. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the Real Estate Podcast. My name is Matthew Teifke, and we are here in Austin, Texas. Really excited. Uh, Jonathan Calico, uh, AFC Gamma, head of real estate, a big real estate company, doing some really exciting things uh, in the cannabis space as well. Uh, Jonathan, appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, thanks for Thank your time you today. Much. Thank you very much for having me, Matt. We're excited. So what we like to do is dive into people's background just understand uh, kind of your career path and then, and then dive into the company and what you guys do, what your focus is, and I'll ask you questions. Uh, but if you're good with that, would love to kind of just hear about your, your career journey and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So um, after college and law school, during law school, I knew I didn't want to be a practicing attorney. Um, I found my way to Wall Street where I was a bond trader and doing a bunch in the fixed income and debt part of the uh, investing spectrum. My family has been in real estate for about 100 years, starting about the 1920s in New York. So I always had a tangential relationship with real estate, e even while I was on Wall Street. Uh, in 2010, uh, I transitioned full time from Wall Street into real estate, um, focused on lending. And the lending was <clears throat> initially focused in some of the oil patch plays when uh, fracking was starting to get exciting. And from there, you know, I just opened it up to really lending on uh, real estate throughout the US. At the time, coming out of the 2010 crisis, yields were in the in the teens, and you could really extract some some good, you know, returns from collateralized real estate lending. As we got closer to 2019, 2020 and into COVID, the world was changing such that there was much more competition from other lenders and the ability to get these outside spreads went away. Um, right as COVID hit, so about April or May of 2020, <clears throat> I reconnected with a friend of mine who I knew from college and actually high school as well, named Len Tannenbaum. Um, and he wanted to venture into the cannabis space. I was extremely reluctant at first, um, but he having a lending background as well saw cannabis having the ability to offer us some outside returns as well. I was very skeptical because we, we, uh, we actually own a bank and we have some other um, holdings that are regulated and the Ill illegality of cannabis bothered me for number one and the social stigma of a class one narcotic was also problematic. 
Um, but because COVID had hit and things were paused in general, it gave me the opportunity to, to look into cannabis much more. And historically, I've always tried to find a market niche that offered me some excess return that I could quantify, as opposed to a lot of folks in real estate who will do the same thing over and over and ride the, the waves. We try to kind of pick and choose. So in, in cannabis, it became clear in 2020 that the federal illegality really didn't matter. The federal government wasn't going to prosecute uh, people who were abiding by state law. Um, and really the, the problem with um, money movements and investing in the space had changed a significant amount since 2016 when it was very, very tough. From the social side of things, um, from the research and the white papers we read, cannabis was helping the, uh, you know, vets come off of other narcotics in a very significant way that really helped the veteran communities. We saw that particularly strongly in Texas and in Florida, where you have a high concentration of vets. Um, and that alone was one of the reasons that suggested to me that, they, hey, there really is something here. It's not a myth that cannabis has medicinal qualities that could really help folks. Um, but because of the continuing taint as a tier one federally illegal substance, a lot of the natural players who would be lending in the space are on the sidelines. Um, hence, less competition, hence a, a ability to find really interesting investments and, and generate those type of returns. Getting to the real estate aspect of this is, is obviously uh, very important, especially because each state is its own microcosm when it comes to cannabis investing. Um, it's almost like 50, it's 50 different jurisdictions if you count each state, each one with its own particular idiosyncratic rules having to do with both real estate collateralized lending um, and cash flow lending itself. Thankfully, having lent throughout the US, we were quite familiar with a lot of the real estate specific aspects of, of loan of lending, and that's helped us in cannabis. For example, in, in New York, when you are a first lien lender, um, it's very difficult to get primed on your loan except by you know, taxes. In Missouri, differently, um, mechanics liens can trump you and prime you pretty easily. So you have to be very knowledgeable about these different jurisdictions in which we're gonna land. And obviously as a part of cannabis, because you have to do things state by state, you can't grow in California and ship nationally, you have to build both your cultivation facility and your dispensaries within that state. Um, so you have local labor issues, you have all sorts of regulatory municipal issues to deal with. Um, and that's where a lot of the complexity is. So having the real estate lending background has actually been critical to enabling us to make these cannabis loans. I love it, man. It's very exciting uh, to hear. And we're in the real estate business, but I also invest in cannabis. And uh, we lost a real estate agent the other day because she saw that we we're releasing podcasts on cannabis. And it's, 
I loved what you were saying at the beginning because you were initially kind of turned off about it, but then you dug in further and did some research. And that's what I feel like most people will do if they keep an open mind and they want to learn more about it. Um, Absolutely. And, and then what you said about uh, you know just being an entrepreneur and a business person, how you're looking for uh, just unique ways to approach business in general to get better returns than just being average and just getting brokerage commissions or just getting a set return. I, I liked how you uh, laid that out. Um, I don't believe there's a ton of companies that do what you do. Um, I know there's a, a couple for sure. Um, I recent, I've been following cannabis space for 10, 12 years, and I only recently heard about your company uh, because I was, I'm actually invested in acreage holdings and I saw that you guys did a deal with acreage. And um, so I started really looking more into it. And it's funny because I'm at my core, a real estate guy, but I am heavily invested in cannabis because I see opportunity in it. And real estate and cannabis is like, what are you talking about? But there is a mix and you're living it and you're doing it as business. And so I'm fascinated by that in general. Um, what, what does your business look like? What's the goals? What's the structure? Uh, it's, if I'm correct, uh, I kind of understand it as a REIT, essentially, but focus more on cannabis uh, side of things. Is, is that accurate? That's very accurate. Um, my background has been in running private funds, both family assets and friends and family under you know, private LLCs or LPs. When I was speaking with my partners, Len and Robin, um, they wanted to take this public. And the way to do that was easiest through a REIT. There's a company called IIPR, yep. which is listed on the exchange. And what they do is sell leasebacks. That um, was basically the only form of financing early on where companies would sell the, let's say the cultivation of the dispensary to IIPR, take in a corpus of money, and then enter into a long-term lease with IIPR. Um, great model. IPR was the monopoly in the beginning and have done a, a, a tremendous job. But the issue for these borrowers or sellers is you'd be now locked into a, let's say a 15 year, 20 year lease with escalators. So if you got to a point in the next two or three years where the legislation changed and now banks nationally could lend to cannabis companies, instead of being able to refinance that, you're still stuck in this very, very expensive structure. So we saw an opportunity to come in and say, hey, Mr. Cannabis Company, um, we'll give you a much shorter term lease, uh, loan rather, three, four, five years, whatever you'd like. And then if you have a situation where the SAFE Act is passed or federal legality is passed, you can just refinance this out. Um, and that resonated tremendously well with a lot of these borrowers. They understood that owning the real estate was going to be one of the ways that banks, traditional banks, would in the future be able to lend to them. Banks um, find it easiest to lend on real estate almost over anything else. And not having real estate, if you were a cannabis company and you did sell leaseback, would be very be much different, much more difficult in the future to, to get that type of traditional financing. So our company um, listed in um, the spring of 2021. Uh, we had um, 
warehoused a bunch of loans to the cannabis companies when we went public. And what going public really did for us was get our name out there. So it helped with our marketing effort and our pipeline. Um, it gave us brand awareness and it gave us some, um, let's say, I don't want to say prominence, but some strength so that the cannabis companies wouldn't question who the hell are these guys and why should I trust that they're going to make me a loan. Um, with all that, we were able to ramp up our book pretty nicely to, you know, having, having I think, written about five, a little over $500 million worth of loans so far. Um, and as things have evolved, we've lent to bigger and bigger, stronger and stronger companies, such as Acreage, um, which has inst installed some new management and are doing a you know, very, very good job turning around that company. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of the value that they have is actually embedded in the real estate. And they're going to use that to springboard into growing their you know, earnings uh, and cash flow. Yeah, that's great. So I, that's what I was thinking. It was IIPR and you guys is, is that's kind of the landscape for uh, outlets. There are a couple others okay. um, that have recently listed. Um, uh, New Lake does sell leasebacks as well. Um, there's a company called PowerReit that does some lending and, and a couple other small ones. Um, the landscape in terms of lenders hasn't changed that much uh, in the last year or two. We've seen these competitors all along. Some have gotten listed themselves, but you're not seeing um, the big funds such as Apollo or Point72 or KKR. None of those guys are yet entering the space. Although some people are doing it in their individual family office. Um, mm -hmm. They're they're entering that way, but they're not doing it at the corporate level. It's 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 still verboten, and mm -hmm. they're keeping you know a, a big separation. So what what does that do um, for your business in general when things do change? Um, would you would you just you know buy other assets, or is there still opportunities? How do you view that? Because it is changing, and nobody knows like timelines and stuff. But it's just it's something I thought of when you said they can refinance out. Does that change your, your direction or your model at all? So that's a great question. It's a question we get a lot. Our capital structure is both equity and debt. We've sold bonds into the corporate market as well um, to give ourselves a modicum of leverage. Right now, let's say we're achieving uh, 15%, 12 to 15% returns and using, let's say, zero leverage. So you're making those type of returns. If the SAFE Act passes and competitors entered the space and rates tightened into, let's say, seven, you know, eight, nine percent, we'd be able to access the lending markets ourselves at tighter and tighter rates, use a modicum of leverage, and maintain these spreads, we believe. Okay. Now, the the thing that I didn't appreciate early on was how nuanced cannabis lending actually is. I um, thought growing cannabis was going to be like growing a tomato. You put a seed in the ground and it grows. And the sophistication in the business is far and away massive, much more massive than I, I, I predicted. 
and the real estate requirements to properly uh, design, build, outfit a cultivation facility is extremely complex. The HVAC systems, the fertigation systems, the, you know, the power backup generations are as sophisticated as you'll see anywhere. Um, and uh, those pieces of the puzzle are not something that other lenders are going to be able to get up to speed with very quickly. Hello, you crazy entrepreneurs, real estate investors, my friends. Hey guys, have you had a bad home warranty claims experience? Well, what if there was a new way to experience the home warranty process? The Real Estate Podcast is sponsored by Amber Martinez with Achosa Home Warranty. Achosa loves local. The claims process is focused on speed, communication, transparency, and support to your local vendor community. You, the homeowner, have total control over who comes into your home and how quickly service is received. Achosa delivers an experience that is not only high consumer rated, but it is also the most responsible home warranty company in the market. The time to change is now. Experience Achosa. Call your local Achosa rep, Amber Martinez, at 512-876-7842. 512-876-7842. Now, back to the Real Estate Podcast, baby. Got so it. we don't think we're going to be displaced um, by folks coming in just with tighter spreads. But, you know, banks traditionally don't love construction lending. Um for the most part, you know, Bank of the Ozarks is the biggest lender in Manhattan when it comes to construction. And you'd say, how could that be? Why isn't it JP Morgan or Citibank? It's, it's not, it's literally Bank of the Ozarks. And it's because construction is a very difficult thing to achieve, especially in this type of inflationary market where um, the correct type of workers um, and subcontractors are very, very difficult to source. So, we, we definitely think that our market presence is going to survive, um, but we do anticipate doing more loans with banks, you know, an AB piece where the bank will be the senior and we'll, we could be the junior lender. So it'll get our, our clients cheaper debt as a package, but we'll still be able to maintain our rate profile. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's actually... Probably if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's, it is in your advantage if things change because you specialize in this and it will open up, open up more opportunities. Uh, you'll get cheaper capital. There'll be more businesses able to do this. You'll be able to get into more states, all that kind of stuff. Yes. I mean, there's, look, right, right now, we're in an environment where our competitors are known the size of the lending community is, is known and not all that big. So if the floodgates opened and everybody jumped in, there, there will be uh, some dislocation. But we actually, having spent the last three plus years looking at cannabis companies, we think we can discern who deserves a loan and who doesn't. And new entrants probably won't pick that up as quickly. So we think that some folks will get financing that probably don't deserve to, could see them fail, and that would put a taint on all these new guys entering the business. So there's a lot of ways this could play out. Um, uh, I, I am not rooting against legislation to be passed, 
Um, but I'm not necessarily rooting for it either. It'll come. It won't come before Congress changes in the midterms, uh, and it could come after that. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out from there. I will say this, which is something that I, I don't think is widely believed to be true, but we feel strongly that you're never going to see federal legalization such that you can grow in one state and sell to another. Okay. okay. That's particularly important. So right now you could manufacture widgets in California and sell them all over. You're not going to see that happen in cannabis because the tax, um, the, the tax income these states are receiving both from real estate and from these companies is too great to give up and close down. Got it. So that'll add a layer of complexity too that will keep us in business longer. Is that when people say interstate commerce? Is that what they're talking about? They, there's people that do think that will happen, but you're saying you don't. You don't. See I do that. not see that happening. Correct. So that's that's. It, it, California would be the big beneficiary. Everybody would grow in California and then ship nationally. Um, but you'd see job exodus from those states that have now spent time, money, developing the cultivation within their state. Plus, they'd give up some type of control over quality and uh, uh, amount of production and things like that, which we don't think the states are going to want to uh, give up. Yeah. You're in an interesting uh, space with being in the real estate side. Um, you know, we have a brokerage here. We do traditional type transactions and we, we buy a single family and small commercial, but the cannabis business on the other side, like just the operators as a business person is so fascinating. Like you, you have a little less risk. It seems like you, you, you get a lot of the benefits, but then you also have stable, you got real estate. And the cannabis side, I mean, they just, these companies are just trying to stay ahead of it and things are changing. And it is so fascinating to think, how would you run these businesses? Well, you're hundred percent right. And, and in the early days, um, which are behind us, I believe, you could almost do anything and get away with it in terms of not running an optimized process. Uh, you were getting so much income from your pricing power on the, on the cannabis plant that even if your expenses were out of whack, it didn't matter, you're still making a ton of money. But that's changing. And now folks' uh, ability to properly operate these growing companies is more and more important. And that's shaking out some of the folks who really don't have that operational expertise. Um, that flows back into the real estate side as well. Almost nobody we've met has ever built anything, a dog house, a tree house, nothing. And now they're building 25,000 foot, very complex cultivation facilities with multiple <laughs> rooms, um, you know, air scrubbers, things of that nature. And they think that you just go out, hire a contractor, they build it and deliver it to you. And you and I both know that's absolutely not how it happens. So um, as a lender, we both our first one of our first jobs is to educate some of our borrowers as what construction really means and how you're supposed to tackle it. Um, and uh, that's that's always not that's not always appreciated the right way. But yeah. we, we're starting to see mu much more professionalism flow into the space. You're seeing folks who are coming into cannabis with with real operational backgrounds in in. Uh, in industry. So it's yeah, that's great. So how does a deal uh, like acreage or any other deals, how do those take place? Uh, I'm sure it's a mix of 
y'all reaching out or them reaching out? Like, how does something like that go down um, from someone on the outside? So the bulk of the cannabis companies that we speak to want, uh, want money in order to either expand their footprint um, or improve their assets in some fashion or buy some other assets that would fill in their map. Um, so acreage came about through a personal relationship we had with one of the former folks at the company and we were introduced. And what we did was on the first conversation, we kind of got an understanding of what they needed and wanted in terms of the size of the money and what it was gonna be used for. We then sent them a term sheet laying out how we would make the loan. And during that time, we're looking at the company, just kicking the tires at, at a high level. Then once we're engaged um, is when the lawyers, the third parties, all the folks go in to do the deep dive diligence. And the way we approach things is before we originate the loan in that four to eight week period, we want to kind of do everything we need to do to investigate the company. So once the loan is made, the company can kind of get on with it. And our monitoring is very much from afar. We, we don't want to run the business. We don't want to interfere with our borrowers. Um, we want them to execute the way that they believe they will. So we get all the heavy lifting done up front. Um, if anything comes up that's unexpected, you know, we try to deal with it. And if things are absolutely different than what they were explained to us by the prospective borrower, in those rare instances, we would just not go ahead with the loan. Um, but usually, um, or historically, we've been able to overcome any of those small issues, either a change of rate, a change in the amount of the loan, or, or some other um, fix, and we make the loan. So um, it's decently straightforward. It's um, really about making sure that we click with our borrower. It's, it's an ongoing relationship. The difference between us and a syndicate put together by an investment bank is if the borrower has a problem, an issue, something to discuss, we're one point of contact. So if they want to make a change, they come to us, we talk about it, and we give them an answer. If it's a syndicate, such as an investment bank like Canaccord put a, you know, issued a loan through 12, 15 different participants in order to get a consensus, it could take ages and it's not going to be very uh, inexpensive or, or straightforward to the borrower. So we're a lot easier of a partner for them uh, for the long term in the growth of their business. Got it. And, and that gives them the ability to come to us when they need more money or refinance and work there for them. Very cool. Awesome. Well, I, I'm really excited about uh, what you guys are doing. I'm probably going to go buy some shares myself. <laughs> <laughs> we look uh, forward to that. I mean, it's, you know, real estate and cannabis. I should there you be go. So a couple more questions before we get out of here. Um, what, what's uh, just some personal or general business advice that you've kind of took to heart or has helped you be successful in your career? Something that entrepreneurs can hear uh, from you that you've held close uh, that they can maybe put into use or, or hold close to themselves. 
I'm not going to give you the standard answer that I've heard a lot of times. Good. So um, I, I was very heavily into math and science in college. And I thought that the math, science, and numeric knowledge was going to carry me through my career. And what I've learned is that I really should have paid much more attention to marketing and communications because it's really those interpersonal relationships and developing those uh, type of connections that make the difference. Um, if it wasn't for having people surrounding you to give you good advice, to help you to bounce things off of, to bring you deals, to show you things, to think of you, um, we would definitely not be where we are today. And um, that really means you have to have that outgoing personality, even if it's not in your DNA, you kind of have to fake it, um, to really put yourself out there and make yourself stand out in a way that people want to gravitate to you. Um, and that's been a difficult thing because I've always kind of been, you know, not out there. Right. Um, sure. So that's great advice. I, I know that we live by that and I know it to be true with real estate. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. I love, I love hearing that from you. Thank you for sharing that. You got it. Um, what are ways that uh, our listeners or we can add value for you guys? Um, what are ways people can get a hold of the company or hear about it? Anything like that? So our ticker is AFCG, um, and um, we're listed on NASDAQ, not the pink sheets, the actual NASDAQ. Um, uh, you could email any of us at any time. I think on our website, we have everybody listed. Um, we're happy to discuss anything. We're, we're very hands-on when it comes to our investor relations. Um, Rob and one of our partners is excellent at that, as is uh, Jim Velgott, who, who runs our PR group. So we, we really do try to make an effort to be very connected to our investor base, especially as it's early days. We want to educate people on exactly what's going on, how we're doing things. Beautiful. I love it. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, no, but uh, go, go, go Longhorns. Go hi, Hook them. Hey, Hook em horns. I, I got the, uh, I went to A&M. But I'm the I'm the only Aggie that uh, throws up the horns with the ring on. There you I, go. Uh, I went to AM, but I grew up here in, in Austin. And so yeah, I uh, I missed the rivalry, that's for sure. Yes, Austin is an awesome city. Yeah, it's great. Well, thank and you. I'm saying that from Midtown Manhattan, which is not as awesome these days as Austin. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you ever make it out, uh, barbecue on us. Perfect. And, uh, appreciate your time. Thank you guys for listening to the real estate podcast. Jonathan Calico, uh, AFC Gamma. We're always here to provide value. Make sure you listen, subscribe, uh, comment, and reach out if there's anything we can help with. I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you very much, man. Bye-bye.